Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hey, everybody. What is going on? I hope y'all are having a wonderful day out there, wonderful week. I hope God is blessing you guys. So today we are going on our second episode, which is on unconditional election. This is our second episode in a five-part series that's part of a bigger overarching series known as Calvinism versus Arminianism. Ooh, what a debate. But anyways, like I said, we are on the second point of Calvinism. Last week, we went over the first point, which was total depravity. And that's the first building block of the pillar that is known as the five points of Calvinism. So what is unconditional election? Well, it goes by a few other names. It has predestination, sovereign election, or adopted by God. And what's the big debate about this? Why is this such a divisive doctrine. This is a doctrine that a lot of people have hard times wrapping their heads around. This is a doctrine that usually makes, you know, get it gets some anger out there. I've seen some anger thrown around. People get upset. And it's mostly because this is telling us that our salvation, our faith, our everything is out of our hands and it's 100% in the hands of God. So the debate is, is do we choose God or does God choose us? Or Does God elect on the basis of his foreknowledge, meaning he looked into the future, saw who was going to be saved, and then made them elect that way? Or was it he chose us from just the very beginning of the world uh, for no other reason whatsoever? And that's the exact definition if you look in the dictionary of what unconditional is, not subject to any conditions. In other words, God did not choose the people he chose to save based on his own sovereign will. All right, let's go ahead and get into this. Okay, so we have a whole bunch of verses that we are going to dive into, and I want you to really stick around until the end, especially for people who are still listening that do not believe in unconditional election or maybe are skeptical or trying to learn. Please stick around to the end because I'm going to read to you a chapter. After I read all these different verses off and then I read this specific chapter in the Bible, I really feel like this is going to give you great understanding. This chapter alone you can do a huge sermon on because I think it's Romans 9 if you were waiting. I don't want to keep you in suspense. But Romans 9 gives the best account of God's sovereign election than anywhere else in the Bible in my personal opinion. But I think it's important first we go ahead and look at these other verses, and then at the end, we're going to go ahead and dive right into this entire chapter and read it, okay? I'm going to read it, and I'm going to do my best not to cut into it at all, so that way you can grab the entire thing in context in your head. Now, as always, please, 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 especially with a doctrine such as this that can be so divisive, look this up on your own. Write down the verses, I'm telling you. Write down the verses I'm saying here. Find verses for yourself, too, and look at them for yourself. Don't just take what I say here on this episode or what anybody tells you about anything and read it for yourself. That is the only way that you can probably get the best understanding is reading it for yourself. All right, so after we're done here, please set aside a time and do that. So that way you can go ahead and pray on these verses to for God to give you understanding on how you should feel about this. Because trust me, this is tough. I grew up 
a raging free willer, to steal words from John Piper there. I grew up a raging free willer. You know, that's just who I was. I never learned anything else about any other way. I always believed this was a choice that we made. We chose God, no questions asked. I never even knew that there was a debate on whether uh, God chose us first or we chose God. I never even thought of that until it was brought up to me one day on, on a deployment, go figure. I was in Iraq. I was like 24 years old. And one of my old platoon sergeants brought it up to me, and I was just, I was offended. I was like, no way. And here, I call my dad, who, you know, he used to be a pastor, and, you know, asked him about it. And he's like, well, Tim, you know, it's actually in the Bible. And I'm like, what? So he sent me some sermons and gave, pointed me out some verses, and I went through and read it. And it took a little bit. Actually, it didn't take all that long. As soon as I started reading it, I started noticing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is right. This is right. You know, and that's what God laid on my heart. That's what I believed as I read through these verses. All right. Well, enough of me giving my life story and testimony. That could be for another day. Let's go ahead and dive into these verses. All right. So the first one that we're going to pick up is John chapter 1, verse 12. And as we do this, I'm going to do my best to kind of try to Go through this because this is, I got a lot of verses to go over, and I'll just try to highlight the important parts as we go through these verses, all right? So John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 is what we're picking up on, and it says right here, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, this is the key right here, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, deep stuff. Mark chapter 13, verse 20. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, this is talking about the future here, what's going to be happening, uh, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the, here it is, the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as, here we go, he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons, though through Jesus Christ himself, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of not man's will, but his will, God's will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 13 verses 8 through 10, more future right here. All those who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone who has their name has, that has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is, here we go right here, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. So this, this brings it up on a different level here. It's saying anyone destined for captivity. When you're reading this, you can almost imply that, that God has not only destined people to be saved, 
but also destined them for wrath. Let's keep going. This is deep. All right, here's a little section of what we're going to read uh, later on tonight. Romans chapter 9, verse uh, 18 through 24. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. There it is again. Wow. Will you say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? In other words, saying, how, how can God blame me for not choosing him when I can't resist his will if he's decreed that I won't choose him again in the first place? And then Paul comes back with this. On the contrary, who are you, O oh man, who answers back to God? Who are you? Who are you to answer back to God, you little man? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter, that's God, have the right to say over the clay, that's us, to make from one the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. Wow, that right there. And that's why I'm picking this entire chapter to read at the end, because it goes over all of this. We see Paul clearly writing here some of the questions that people who do not believe in unconditional election or predestination or adopted by whatever you want to call it, people who don't believe in this, saying, you know, he's going through the same thought process in his head and he's posing the question as if you were asking it, saying, you know, who are we? Who are we to tell God, the creator, the potter, why have you made me this way? We have no right whatsoever. Does not the potter have the right to make vessels appointed to wrath and vessels appointed to mercy? I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it's saying. That's what it's saying. Who are we to tell God how we should have been made? We aren't. And that's a tough, tough section to chew on. We'll get into it when we read the whole chapter. It'll come even more clear to you if it hasn't yet already. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 uh, through 20, actually. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, this is Old Testament right here, quoting, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, that's the gospel, of good things. However, did not all heed the good news? For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. That right there, for those hyper-Calvinists out there that believe that we should preach only to the elect, that, there, right there. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. We preach to everybody. 
because we don't know who elect is. There, there was a great little story about uh, Spurgeon. If you don't know who Spurgeon, a great, great pastor, leader, uh, and pretty much he was asked, he was told by a hyper-Calvinist, well, uh, you should only be, be preaching to the elect. And he's like, okay, here's a paintbrush, here's some paint, go ahead and paint them, and I'll preach only to the elect. In other words, he was saying, we don't know who's elect. We don't know who God has chosen. So we're going to preach the word to everybody. And not just because of that, because that's what God said. Go forth, go into the world, preach to all the world, go to the ends of the earth. And that brings us right into verse 18 of this same passage. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. That's quotation from the Old Testament there. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. In other words, this is a show of what goes on today. When we run into somebody and we share with them the gospel and they hear it and they receive it, God is going to put people in your life to hear. If you are meant to believe, if you have ears to hear, God is going to put somewhere in your life through all the watering and planting and everything going on somewhere down the line. God is the only one who knows in that path. And if you believe, you know you have this story with you. God puts somebody directly there for a reason to give you that. Just like it says right there in verse 20. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek for me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. In other words, these people, we as Christians, we weren't looking for God. Maybe we were a long time ago. Who knows? We weren't looking for God. We weren't seeking after God, though. And that gets back into the total depravity. But God put someone in our life, in our place, who he determined before the foundations of the earth that was going to share that gospel message for us on the day that we received it. Strong, strong words. Let's keep reading. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-9. through 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us, granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And he said, I myself will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. In other words, this is God's choice. This is God's choice. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 through 7. For you are a holy people. He's talking to Israel right here. He's talking to the Jews. For you are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. 
out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. But in fact, you were actually the fewest of all people. Paraphrasing there a little bit. Acts chapter 13, verse 47 through 48. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Talking about the Jews again. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and giving glorifying to the word of the Lord and as many as had been appointed, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. In other words, they didn't believe and then became appointed. They were appointed beforehand and then believed. Deep stuff, deep stuff. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone. He's quoting Old Testament there and he continues on. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, here it is, and to this doom, they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellence of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And yes, Peter is probably talking primarily to a Jewish audience in his letter here in 1 Peter. But the same applies to us now as made evident through Paul when he kept writing these things not just for the Jew, but for the Greek also or the Gentile also. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, this is a key word right here, we're going to get right into this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, predestined, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And to those whom he called, he also justified. And to those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for that. And this is what this is what I talked about in the beginning. When you see the word foreknew, you can take that two different ways. Either one way, some people look at that and say, God looked into the future. He saw who was going to have faith. He saw who was going to believe. And then he made them elect based off of that. Or if you go ahead and open up your concordance, your Strong's Concordance, like every good Christian should have, <laughs> just joking. Uh, but if you open that up, you see there's multiple meanings for the word for new. And even in the biblical sense, look look at that word new. You know, uh, when Joseph, you know, Joseph did not know Mary until Christ was already born. What does that mean? He did not know her. He, he, he didn't know her until after Jesus was born already because Mary was a virgin. 
when she had Christ? Well, that's saying he did not know her. It was an intimate word, no. It was, you know, intimate relationship, sexual relations specifically in that case. But that's the same way that the Bible uses the word know a lot. And when I read that, when I see foreknew, I believe that means God, he already knew us. He had an intimate relationship with us before we were even born because he knew us before the foundations of the world. Our name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Big, deep stuff here. John chapter 6, verse 37 through 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus talking. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. John chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh to do that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the most, I'm sorry, his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? In other words, it goes back to what we're talking about in that Romans passage. Who are we to talk back to God? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are, here it is, chosen, so that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's powerful. No one can come to me unless the Father, God, who sent me, draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's Jesus talking. He's saying nobody can come to him unless God does a work in their heart first and draws them to Christ. And when I see that word, draws him, it's an intimate word. It's not just uh, snap of the fingers, you're going to believe. It's he draws them. He builds them up. He grows them up in Christ. He draws them to Christ in a very convincing way, in a way that we can't reject. It's awesome. It's amazing when you really dig down and think about it. Here's a huge chunk for you, all right? Here's a huge chunk. John chapter 10. Truly, true. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up another way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name 
and leads them out. That's how intimate God knows us. He knows us by name. He calls us by name. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. We, the chosen, the the people who believe in Jesus, we know Jesus' voice. We couldn't hear it any other way. Verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. In other words, we couldn't do anything else but follow God. He's going to give us discernment to not follow these strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus is about to explain it to them. (laughs) Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. The real Christians, the real believers did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, oh, excuse me. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the actual sheep. He's talking about false teachers there. I am a good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He, he could be talking there about the Gentiles, about us, about the people who aren't Jewish. I have other sheep which are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I have received from my father. A division occurred then again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he he has a demon and he's insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of a demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And this is where Jesus asserts his deity right here. Verse 22, at that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus is walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. This is key right here. Pay attention. I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the, and the Father are one. The Jews, here on verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me for? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. And then Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore, they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again and beyond the Jordan to a place where John was first baptized. And he, and he was say, staying there. And many came to him and were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, many believed in him there. That was a huge chunk of verses, but very necessary to go through that entire chapter of John 10. All right. So now before we get to our final verse that we're going to talk about in election, which is going to be in Romans chapter 9, I do want to take out, check out some verses that the other side likes to use. And this is important because it is very good. We need to cross-examine this. We need to check this out. We need to look at what other people are saying and why they believe what they believe. It's important to hear this part. Let's go ahead and pick it up. And let's pick it up with probably... The most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16. And we're going to go ahead and read John 3.16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, and he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And that's a verse that people use, and that one's hard to talk about. I mean, because it says right there that God loved the world, and he sent his Son to die for the world. This is, this is for the world. When you read the world, it, it doesn't say the elect, it doesn't say the church, it says the world. Now, what you want to assume after there, you got to pray on. But it does say that he sent him for the world and for the, to, for the world to be saved through him. Second Timothy, or as you were, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we'll read 1 through 4, actually. This sums it up pretty good. First of all, then I urge you that entreaties and prayers... 
petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that way we may be led a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So we hear we see it here again, that God desires that all men are to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Now, what we do see, though, we know for pretty much fact that not all men will come to the knowledge of truth, even though God desires it. That's... You know, that's something you got to sit there and chew on. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. He's talking about John the Baptist there. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He's proclaiming it out here. He's given a command. Repent and believe in the gospel. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. And the Spirit, the Spirit, and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes and take the water of life without cost. That looks like another verse where it says it's a call for everybody. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. It looks like a call to everybody. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. There it is again, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So as we went through and we read through those verses there that the opposition likes to use, we come to see and we come to find out that this is not a call just to the chosen, but a call to everybody, that Christ came for the world, to die for the sins of the world, and God wishes that all should come to repentance, that all should come to believe. But then, how do we answer that as people who may believe in election? And I believe the answer to that honestly lies in a verse that we already went over, and that's Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Bible is very, very clear that there is nobody without excuse. We went over that during our total depravity lesson when we were going through verses, especially in Romans, where he was saying that God's creation, everything's a testimony to God. And here, even in Matthew, it says, many are called, but few are chosen. You can even look at today's world, that there are so many people that have access to the gospel or have heard the gospel or heard something, and they totally reject it. Why do you believe the gospel? Why do I believe the gospel and see the plain truth that is in there, but then other people just turn, completely turn away, and it doesn't affect their lives? It's, it's a tough question to ask, and it's a one you have to sit, think, and meditate on. And I really do believe that these verses that we have read up to this point on total depravity and unconditional election give us the answer to that question, because it's God's will. 
That's the only way that it makes sense in my brain at least. All right, let's go ahead and hit up our last section of verses for the night. And this is, once again, going back to Romans chapter 9. And I really feel like this one is the, 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 the section that kind of wraps this all up for us, that kind of gives us the understanding in a way uh, that we can't deny this. I can't look at this chapter just like a lot of the other verses we read tonight, but especially here, and deny that God is sovereign. He chooses. We don't choose. He chooses. Let's go ahead and read it. Romans chapter 9. A good appropriate title for this chapter would be God's Sovereign Choice. All right, verse 1 opens up like this. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But this is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice in God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends, not on human will or exertion or works, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show you my power in you, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back 
to God. Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, so if you were thinking this was a Jewish thing only, Paul's about to break your world right here, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people I will call my people, and her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Oh, amazing. Keep going. Verse 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I want to thank you all for listening. If you listened through this entire podcast, I know this was a long one. And this is a hard one to grasp. This is hard. I mean, I I honestly don't fully get it myself. We're called to repent and we are all called to believe. But yet the Bible teaches us that it's God's choice. You can't harmonize it. You can't harmonize it. Don't ask me to do it. I can't. I can't harmonize it. But that's the thing. This is the Bible. And if you believe the Bible is the infallible word of God, that this is the word of God, then you have to believe this because it's written all over it. The real question is not why does he choose some, but rather why did he choose to save any at all? Because in the end, We're all worthy of destruction. But God saw it in his heart 
to let his son come down to earth, be in human flesh, live a perfect life, and then die an unjust death on our behalf and face the full wrath of God the Father when he never deserved it. He did that in our place. If you heard these words tonight and you're feeling very affected by it, maybe you never believed before or maybe you thought you believed or maybe you're just reaffirmed in what you already believe. But if you feel some way tonight, please explore it. Read your Bible. Let's go ahead and end on a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your Son on the cross to save us unworthy sinners who were made ready to go into destruction, Lord, but you found grace. You have grace, Lord, and you set that grace upon us the ones that you have chosen, Lord, when we didn't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for everything you do in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that this message reaches out to people, Lord, that this message is not a message to cause people to hate, Lord, but to cause people to read their Bible, to dig into scriptures, Lord, to pray to you and to figure out what they truly believe. I hope, Lord, I pray, Lord, that everyone that hears this message, that you are drawing them, Lord. I pray that Thank you so much for everything you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, in your will alone. Amen. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this. I really appreciate it, and I know this was a long one. If you have any questions or responses or maybe you want to challenge on something, please drop it in the Twitter, uh, I Believe Now What, or go to the I Believe Now What Facebook page. Write your question there. Everything's all public. I'm not going to back away. I'm not going to shy away. I am going to defend my faith and defend what I believe in. And by all means, if I am shown something in Scripture that contradicts what I believe in and I'm shown that I was wrong, I will be the first one to admit it because I believe in God's truth in the Bible. I believe everything that is written inside the Bible, and I take it very literally. So if I could be shown that I'm wrong, I'll admit it, and I'll pray on it, and I'll study it, and I'll check it out. All right, thanks, y'all, for listening once again. This is Tim. I believe now what? Signing out.